Our Lord, as we come to study your word, we acknowledge that it is your spirit who leads us into all truth. Would you guide our thoughts now? Would you teach these words to our hearts that you would teach us how you desire to be worshipped by us? And so, Lord, we present our minds, our hearts, our lives to you that you might instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, we're talking about the topic of worship, which is what we're doing here. We're in a worship service. And, of course, you know, the Bible says that all of life is meant to be lived for God's glory as, a, you know, as basically an act of worship to serve him. But one of the things that God gives us is every week we come together for this set-apart time of corporate worship, gathered worship, which kind of trains us and prepares us for the rest of our life that I live and I exist to glorify God. And uh, you'll notice that this passage begins, verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. What does that mean, to guard your steps when you go to the house of God? Well, I think at least one thing that it means is that when you go to God's house to worship, you need to think about what you're doing. You have to pause to think about what exactly is happening here. Because, you know, it's interesting, the book of Ecclesiastes we've been looking at throughout the, this, the last couple of months in the fall, the main premise of Ecclesiastes is that everything under the sun is vapor. And so, you know, money is this thing that we desire and we want it, and so we go to grab it, and it's like this mist that just slips through our hands, or, or pleasure is that way, and work is that way. And that all the things in life, they're good things, but if you try to get control of God's world, it, it, it eludes you, and, um, and we can't get control of it, we can't get our hands on it, so it's frustrating. What's really interesting about this passage is that Ecclesiastes now tells us that one of the things that has the potential to be vaporous is worship. Of course, worship has the potential to not be vaporous because God is the one thing that is, he's the one thing that's not vapor. He's the one unchanging, eternal God who we can totally depend on, who is unchanging. And yet... Worship, if we are not attentive to it, can become vaporous. I'll just say, you know, I know for many of you, coming to worship, doing what we're doing right now, sitting in a service, in a church building, listening to a pastor talk, can be a tremendous trigger for all kinds of emotions. I mean, for some of you, you know, coming here, it's one of the places that you feel most secure and safe. You know, you, you come to church and you say, you know, whatever's crazy is happening in my life, I just feel like everything makes sense when I come here. But I know for some of you, you know, you, it might be the opposite. It's very difficult to come here. You feel a lots of walls coming up. You feel very protective in church, maybe because of some experiences you've had in the past. And, and you know, we've had, I've had lots of people that have been in our church that they just get up in the middle and they leave and they just can't take it. And just, so many things are being brought up. And it's because this experience right here, I mean, it's very powerful. It's very profound. And, um, and so it's important for us to think about what is happening as we gather on Sunday mornings to worship. And there's so much you could say about that, but there's three things from this passage that I want to highlight. And this is what they are. First, worship is God speaking. At the center of worship is God's voice speaking to us. Second, worship is covenantal. 
If you don't know what that word covenantal means, we'll get to that. So, uh, but third, worship is led by Jesus. So three things from this passage. Worship is God speaking, worship is covenantal, and worship is led by Jesus. And uh, these three things actually explain to us a lot about what's happening here. So first of all, worship is God speaking. And you, you see that's the main point in this passage of verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so the emphasis here is that the main thing that Christians should do when they come into God's presence is that they should listen to what God is going to say. They should have an open heart to hear what God has to say to them. And, you know, actually, this is a distinctive of Christian faith. I, I, I have a close friend who's one of my old neighbors who uh, grew up in a Hindu home. His dad's actually a Hindu guru down in California. He's got a Hindu congregation of like 2,000 people. And he's come to our home group before. And, he, you know, in, in our home groups, we'll often study the Bible, you know, open up a passage of Scripture, and you kind of study what it says, and you, you know, what do you think that word means? What do you think verse 3 means? And there's all this discussion of trying to figure out what God is saying through this text. And he came to this, he said, you know, we, we don't do that in, in our Hindu temples. You know, the worship... You don't have a sermon. You don't have what we're doing. We're studying the passage. It's much more going through certain rituals where you bring, you know, maybe you have a statue of a god where you bring food as an offering to the god, and you'll say these chants and sing these kind of mantras. And the whole experience is not so much an engagement of the mind to learn and to hear something that concretely that God has said, but it's, it's actually going through these techniques. You know, you might say something like a, these sacrifices. And... What the gospel is about is God says, I want to speak to you. I want you to know who I am. And, and so, of course, you know, the Bible begins by saying that when God created the world, it was God speaking. He spoke and, and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and then God gives us this book. You know, we didn't ask him to give us this book. He, he gives us this text. That, I mean, you spend a lifetime studying all the richness and treasures that are in here. And he says, I want to speak to you. I want you to know what I'm like and who I am. And then, of course, he sends Jesus. Jesus is God's word come to us in man form saying, God, this, God says, this is who I am. I, this is who I am in Jesus. And what all of this is, what all this tells us is that um, worship is primarily uh, about our willingness to come and listen to God more than it's about our spiritual offerings to Him or about our spiritual disciplines that get us near to God. It is Him speaking to us. And now I want to say a couple ways in which God's Word shapes what we do on Sunday morning. Okay? The first is this, is that actually God defines what we do in worship by his word. The actual, all the things that we do here, are, God has told us he wants them to do in his word. And you see this in verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Now, the picture here, maybe you've experienced someone like this, is 
is a worshiper is coming to God's presence and they got all kinds of ideas going on. This wild imagination of dreams and ideas and these are the things we could do for God and these are ways that we could have powerful experiences to encounter God. And it's this whole creative act of how to worship God. And it's really important for us to think about because, um, you know, it's very easy as a church to say, I really don't want church to be boring. And, you know, there's so many exciting things in the world. You know, we live in an age of entertainment. And there's, there's awesome music. It's powerful. There's awesome movies. There's just things that just get your, your mind and your emotions just excited. And if we could have those things in worship, wouldn't that be so powerful? And, of course, you know, there's a good intention in that because many of us, we say it because we just want people to feel alive when they come to church. And, and, and I sympathize with that. But there can be a subtle twist there. From saying, you know, I want to remove any obstacles from people knowing God. I think that's a good thing to do. If there's unnecessary obstacles for people understanding who God is and engaging with him, remove those things. But there's another way to say, you know, I have better ideas about how, it, how to bring people near to God than the Bible does. And we start doing that, that my ideas are better than the Bible's. That's dangerous ground. Because what's happening in worship is... We are coming into God's presence. He is the king of the universe, and we're coming into his throne room. And so we should worship him the way that he says he wants to be worshipped. And, you know, so if we worship him the ways that we think are exciting, are entertaining, then, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the husband, you know, who gives his wife a skill saw for her birthday, you know? And he's just like, I thought, I thought you would love the skill saw. I thought it would just be great. You know, it, you know of course, some of you wives would be like, I want a, a skill saw. And okay, maybe he got you something else. But, uh, but you know what I mean? The wife who didn't want a skill saw, and he gives her a skill saw because that's what he wanted. That's what we can do in worship is we can have all our ideas of what a spiritual encounter with God could be. And I want to create that. But it's actually not what the king has said worship is about. And so there's a theological term for what I'm describing about God's word defining worship. It's called the regulative principle, which says that God's word regulates what we do in worship. God has told us in the Bible what we should do. And this actually comes, there's a story, some of you might know the story in the Old Testament, Leviticus 10. There's a story about Nadab and Abihu who are... Um, Aaron, the high priest's oldest sons, who have this idea, I don't know, we don't know why, to bring in this incense into the most holy place of the tabernacle. And this was something, this was at a time God said, did not say for anyone to draw near to him, and they were going into a place they were not supposed to go. So it's kind of like barging into the king's throne room and just saying, hey, king, how's it going? And you know, what's going to happen? That's going to be trouble for you. And so they go into God's presence, and they're consumed with fire. It was God saying this very clear statement of, I want to be worshipped. You can't just make up your own ideas about how I want to be worshipped. I define my own worship because I'm the king. But I'll tell you, you know, that you might think that sounds very severe, but I, I think it's a very positive thing for us as a congregation to say, we're going to only worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. Because over... The past 150 years, especially in American Christianity, because we don't want worship to be boring, which I don't want worship to be boring either, by the way, uh, but because we don't want it to be boring, we've come up, engineered all kinds of ways to attract people to church. And we're very good at having churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. 
And the reason why there isn't depth there is because entertainment will attract people, but entertainment will not mature you. And if we come to church and say, I want to be entertained, it might get you there for a while, but it will not form Christ in you. And the thing that forms Christ in us is the means of grace that God has said, these are the things that I work through. And then we have confidence. So if we do the things that he said, we can have confidence it's going to work in us. So that's what we do as a church. The Bible says we should sing praises to God. The Bible says that we should confess our sins to God and, and hear God's assurance. The Bible says that we should study God's word and give sermons and that we should bring our offerings to God and we should come to his Lord's, the Lord's table. Everything that we do in our worship, worship service is something that has been prescribed by the Bible itself. And God's saying, this is how I want to be worshipped. So the first thing is that God defines worship by his word. But there's also another thing, is that also worship itself is filled with his word. Um, And, you know, all those things that I just described, right? At the beginning of the service, we have a call to worship, and whoa, it was was from the Psalms. And then we have a confession. What is it? It's the scriptures. Again, we're we're confessing using the, the Ten Commandments. And then the assurance of pardon, it came from Hebrews. It's God's word again. He's speaking again. And then we, we're studying Ecclesiastes 5. It's God, God's word again. And then we give an offering, and we have a, a verse that calls us to bring offer our lives to God. And then we come to the Lord's table, and it's instituted by God's words again. And the whole worship service is saturated with God's words. And um, I'll just tell you, you know, probably most prominent of those, of course, is sermon. It's the main, you know, we spend a lot of time in the worship service where we study a passage of scripture. And, you know, what you're doing right now is a very strange thing. I mean, there's not a lot of people in a culture who do what you're doing. You sit and listen to a guy talk about the Bible for a half hour. And to say, you know, I'm going to pause for half an hour and let God address me with his words. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. It's very, it's very powerful. And then, and then to every week, that's a regular part of my week, is for God to address me. And uh, one of the main means that God uses to bring his grace into our life is this Bible. And so that's why, as a church, it's our conviction that we are always teaching from the Bible, right? You know, if you've been in our church for a while, we just go right through books of the Bible. We don't skip any passages. You know, if, if you were with us and we were going through Genesis, you know, we hit some genealogies, 3,000-year-old genealogies. We're going to read the genealogy, and we're going to talk about how it applies to our lives. Because, and if we say, you know, the, I don't want to read a 3,000-year-old genealogy. That, that's not entertaining. That's not, that's boring. What I'm saying is that I know what I need. We don't know what we need. Maybe we do need that genealogy. We don't know until we study and give ourselves to it. And so we have confidence that God's going to work in our lives when we make his word central. And of course, it's amazing for me as a pastor, as we've done that, we just go right through books of the Bible. I look at the last few months, the topics that we've covered, sex and marriage, homosexuality, work, pleasure, um, we got coming up um, uh, counseling, money, um, friendships we've talked about. I mean, it's every area of life is, is covered. I mean, it's because God made us, and he knows every area of our life. That, so no area of our life is left untouched by God's word. And it's just so amazing. But what that means is that when we come here 
And there is this time that God has set apart to address us, to speak to us. It's important that we come here in faith with soft hearts, ready to hear what he has to say. You know, Jesus has a famous saying where he says, if you have ears to hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You need to be prepared to listen. And you can see that in this passage where in verse 6 it says, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now the messenger here is likely a priest in the Old Testament who's coming to a congregation like ours and talking to them about God's word. And he's saying, don't challenge them. Don't be cynical about the teachers that God brings into your life. Now listen, I understand that there, you don't have to take every word I say and never question it. That, you can ask me questions about anything I say, that's fine. But there can be a certain kind of cynicism that we have where we're suspicious of anything that anyone's going to say to us, that suspicion will close us off to the words that God wants to speak to our hearts. So we have to be aware, do I have a cynical heart? Do I have a closed off? Do I have a questioning heart? And everything anyone says to me, I'm, I have a question about. We might be blocking ourselves off from the work that God wants to do through his word. Okay? So the first thing is this. Is worship is about God speaking. And... God's word both defines worship and also fills his worship with his word. But there's another interesting thing in this passage, as I mentioned, is that worship is also covenantal. And what I mean, what do I mean by covenantal? Well, a covenant is a relationship of love that has been formed by promises or vows that form the relationship. Okay? And you can see here in verse 4, it says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Now, one of the things that Ecclesiastes envisions about worship is that a part of worship is making vows to God. And you might think that's kind of strange. You know, we don't make vows very much in, in our culture. But if you're part of our church, actually, if you get baptized in our church, you take vows to say, I believe the gospel and I'm, I'm going to be a part of God's community and I, I'm committing myself to Christ. If you become a member of our church, you take vows to say, I'm committed to this community. If you become an elder or a deacon, you take vows about leading this congregation. Or if you become a pastor, we, you know, Daniel and I take vows that we're going to teach the Bible faithfully. We're going to you know, live uh, lives that, that honor Christ. And so what that means is that our whole community, our whole life together is formed by these vows as a covenantal community. We're a covenant that's held together by these vows. And of course, not, not primarily our vows to God, but even more, his vows to us, his promises that he makes to us in Jesus. And, um, and you know, some of you maybe heard me say this, that I think the most, uh, the relationship that we experience in our day-to-day life that is covenantal is marriage. That's probably the one that we're most familiar with. That's a relationship of love that has been formed by vows, by promises. On your wedding day, a man and wife come together and they make promises and this new family is formed, this new relationship is formed from the vows. And what's interesting about a marriage covenant is you have this one-time event where you get married and you have a wedding and yet God has a way that he's given a husband and a wife to renew their wedding vows 
by making love. And, and as a husband and wife make love, what they're doing is they're saying to one another, the vows that I made that I'm never going to leave you, that we are one, that what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. We, we belong to one another. I'm saying those vows again when we come together in this union. And so it is a renewal of the covenant, and it's a renewal covenant that happens over and over and over over the course of a lifetime. Worship, what we're doing right now, is how God renews his covenant with us. We come to him, we meet with him, we commune with him, and he recommits himself to us, and we recommit ourselves to him. And, uh, you know, worship is often connected to sex in the Bible. So if you read in the Old Testament, uh, you know, when Israel was worshiping other gods, it's always called adultery. God said, you have committed adultery with these other gods and their worship. And, uh, and actually, the, uh, the whole movement of our worship service is about drawing close to God. You know, we start our worship service with a call to worship, which, says, which means all of us, we are far off from God, and he calls us to himself, and he bids us, and we hear his voice, and we come. But we have this sin in our lives, so we confess our sins. And then by confessing our sins, he forgives us, and he brings us even closer, and then he teaches us through his word who he is. And then we offer ourselves in, in an offering, and then ultimately we stand up and we come forward into his presence at this intimate table where he is with us. And the whole movement is about God drawing us intimately near to himself. And that that is the goal of worship, is intimacy. You know, which raises a question. You know, I said, you know, it's kind of critical of our culture making worship about entertainment. And some of you might say, well, you know, does that mean that we shouldn't have this emotional experience of worship? Shouldn't it be an emotional experience? And uh, shouldn't it be powerful? Because certainly the way that we renew our covenant in a marriage is powerful, it's emotional, it's, you know, it's not just a, a, you know, a heady thing, it's really engaging and, you know, energetic and all those things. And I would have to say that I think that God intends to engage all of who we are in worship. Our minds, our emotions, our wills, but even our bodies, you know, that's why, you know, we stand in God's presence and we sing before him, we come to his table and we eat this bread and wine and what's, you know, the bread gets stuck in our teeth and, and, um, and we should be moved in our hearts. That's what God intends when, when we draw near to him. And so as we do this all over and over every week, we come to worship and we meet with him. It confirms us more and more deeply that we are his and we are one with him. Just like in a marriage relationship, when a husband and wife come together, it confirms more and more to them, to one another, I am yours and you are mine. Now, I have to make one other parallel between worship and sex, if that's okay. If I'm not taking this too far. But um, one other thing, you know, about making love is that it's not always the magical, perfect night every time, right? You know, I had one author says, you know, sometimes it's mac and cheese, sometimes it's a steak dinner, you know? And there are times that it's kind of routine, but it's still good. And you know, worship is that way. Sometimes we expect that we're gonna come to worship and every time God is gonna blow my mind and I'm gonna be overwhelming with emotion, I'm gonna be weeping, and it just doesn't work that way. You will have times like that. And you have other times where it's good and the sermon was good and I learned a few things and we sang and I met with people. And that doesn't mean 
that doesn't mean you stop doing it. It's just there's certain times that's part of the routine of it. Is, is both are good, but we need the regularity of it in our lives. It need, both of them need to be regular. And God says, we need to be here. If you want God to work in your life, if you want his grace to work in your life, being here Sunday morning and saying, I need this, is crucial. And I'll just tell you, the people in our congregation that I've seen their life just transform. It's people who come here with an open heart every Sunday. Now, they have other things. They might be in a home group. They might, you know, they might be in a Bible study. They might be serving in other ways. But this is the central time where we as a community meet with God. And as we do, he transforms us. Okay? So worship is God speaking. Worship is covenantal. But um, there's one last thing we have to say about worship from this passage. Because, you know, another thing about how our culture views worship is that we kind of think, you know, that I could... I should be able to just kind of casually walk into God's presence anytime I want, which is kind of, there, there's some truth to that. God is our Father, and He wants us, He, he welcomes us to come to Him anytime. But you know, we also have ver- verses like this in, in verse 4 where it says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying, for He has no pleasure in fools. So God says, if you don't keep your vows, God doesn't, God's not going to have pleasure in you coming near to him if you don't keep your vows. And so some of us are going to be like, whoa, how do I know I'm going to be able to come? I, all of us have broken our vows with God. That's why we have to confess our sins every time we come, come to worship. And so how can I approach God? How can I be intimate with God where I'm constantly failing him? And this is the third thing that we learn about worship is that worship is led by Jesus. And you see this verse too, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. As painting this picture of this great divide between God and man, how can we come close to one another? Well, First uh, Timothy tells us that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is the bridge that brings, to, that, that brings together that great divide so that we can actually come close to God. And this becomes true of our worship, that the one who is leading us into God's presence right now, who, who uh, makes us, qualifies us to come into God's presence, is Jesus, the true worship leader, who prays in God's presence for us who teaches us God's word, but also who does God's word perfectly. He's the one who keeps, he's the one who, who has kept the vows for us. And he's the one who leads us in song. He's the one who forgives our sins. And so what often happens is that when we think, you know, sometimes we think of the Old Testament, that, you know, Old Testament worship is very severe, it's very scary, and now, you know, God's kind of lightened up in the New Testament. That's not what's happened. It's actually far more intense in the New Testament. We have drawn even nearer to the Holy God than they did in the Old Testament. And yet we do so in Jesus, who is our faithfulness, who has kept all our vows for us so that we can boldly approach God's almighty throne of grace. And he bids us to do so, so that sinners like us can come into his presence. And so it's with our eyes fixed on Jesus that we come to worship him. And uh, let's trust in him together this morning. Let's pray.
Our Lord, we thank you that you have ordained for us uh, to gather with you every Sunday. You know that we need to hear from you. And so we pray that you would um, uh, make our worship and our life together pleasing and glorifying to you. Give us ears to hear the words that you have to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.